Uh, if you would please turn in your Bibles uh, to the book of Ephesians. And just uh, as a way of, uh, before I forget, some of you guys that know a whole lot more about computers than I do, we need to do something for Bill Combs. Either take a laptop or something out there because you can't watch the services he did so every Sunday when he was at home. He had it all set up so he could watch the services. And just to lay that upon you, we need to do something so that Bill can start watching the services uh, out out where he is uh, now. Uh, if you'd please stand for the reading of God's Word this morning as we look content, uh, again at Ephesians and the first chapter. You're going to be, uh, I guess we'll read down through verse 14 to put it into the context as Paul wrote this letter. Please stand for the reading of God's word this morning. Let's hear the word of the Lord. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you in peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, acknowledging to his purpose, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire the possession of it, to the praise of his glory. The glass, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Please be seated. Let's go to God in prayer. Please pray for me as I preach this text. Pray for yourselves as you sit under the proclamation of God's word this morning. Let's pray. Our God in heavenly Father, we would pray, O Lord, that we would be like the psalmist who said, I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. And so we pray, our God, that your gospel would be preached faithfully here ever and always until this church is no more, until the churches in the world are taken up in glory and Christ returns, O God, may this church Be faithful to preach the gospel. And so we pray that for all of your reformed churches, those, O Lord, who are faithful to you. Those who are not, O God, we pray for revival to come and work there. Indeed, O God, we need revival here. 
Bless your word, O Lord, to our hearts and minds. Bless the word read. Bless the word preached, O God, we pray. May your Holy Spirit be with us. Lord God, we want to be more like the Lord Jesus Christ. Take away our unbelief. Take away our doubts. Take away our burdens that we may be able to hear your word and so apply it to us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. As a way of reminder, as we begin our study this morning, that uh, the first six verses of this chapter one in the book of Ephesians had to do with God's plan of redemption. And so this is all concerned about the father verses seven through ten had to do with the one who would bring that uh, plan to completion. That is the Lord Jesus Christ, who would give himself for our uh, salvation. And then here in verse 11 of chapter 1, he elucidates the benefits of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ on behalf of those who are of faith. And what Paul is doing here, he's trying to assure these Christians of the reality of redemption realized. Today, we who are Christians know well. Uh, the struggles of this life. We know well the disappointments of this life. We know well the trials of this life. And it is as we face these challenges that we can sometimes lose sight that God is indeed in control, that God is indeed sovereign, that God is indeed loving, and that uh, the end of the matter, which is stated here in our text, is the consummation of the completion of our redemption, the fullness of our redemption realized. So we see this morning that we should have confidence of the coming of the promised Messiah, of the resurrection and certainty of the resurrection. And we have as a guarantee of that the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. And three things this morning that uh, we should know our inheritance is certain because it's based upon the work of Christ. We should know it is certain because it is based upon the decree of God. And we should be confident of it as well because we have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. And the first thing then, our inheritance is certain is because it is based upon the work of Christ. If you notice these first few verses, it is focused on the Lord Jesus. And we hear it again and again and again. Uh, in him we have an inheritance, we read here in verse 11. And in him refers, of course, to the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul uses this continually, and it certainly is logical that he would do so, because he's talking about redemption. He's talking about salvation. And there is no salvation apart from the efficacious work of the Lord Jesus Christ upon the cross of Calvary as life and death and resurrection. And so we read on in the opening uh, verses. He has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. He created us and thus for adoption as sons through Christ Jesus, according to the purpose of his will, which he blessed in the beloved. That's, of course, the Lord Jesus. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. Uh, and it is his purpose that by his grace to be made known to us the purpose set forth in the Lord Jesus Christ. So from beginning to end to the consummation, it is all about the Lord Jesus. And you remember what Jesus said to uh, 
the disciples. They wanted to see the Father. He says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So we want to know what God is like. Uh, what the God who rules over all things, the God who has created all things, what is he like? We will look at Jesus. You've seen the Father. You want to see the Father. If you've seen me, you have seen the Father. So we learn from that that God is a God of great grace and God is a God of great mercy and kindness and that he loves us, we read in the scriptures, more than we can ever think or imagine. And it is in days of challenges that we find ourselves questioning. Does he indeed love me? Does he indeed care for me? Does he indeed really care what I'm experiencing? Uh, is this something in our the deist, really, right, that God has kind of created, set in motion, and stepped away? Well, the Bible teaches us that that is simply not the case. And we also understand if we want to know the love and compassion of God, we look at the cross of Calvary. That is where his love is particularly displayed without question. That he sent his son into the world to be the, uh, the, uh, the recipient of uh, his uh, uh, work on our behalfs on the cross of Calvary. That Christ might be the recipient of a great people. And that is who we are. And if you're here this morning and you're a believer, then all of these things about God's love and his compassion and his mercy, they apply to you no matter what you're facing. No matter what you're dealing with. If you're a believer, rest confidently in this fact that God loves you more than you can ever think or imagine. And the best days are yet to come. We will not have heaven on earth. I've said that before. And don't expect to find it here. Because you're not going to find it here. And so in him, then, we have obtained an inheritance. And starting in this verse 11, as he says here, we have obtained an inheritance. Have we been, been predestined? Well, what is this inheritance? What is the, the nature of this inheritance? Well, the doctrine of inheritance is not simply a New Testament doctrine. It is also an Old Testament doctrine. Uh, the inheritance that the people exhibited or had in the Old Testament it exhibited itself primarily through temporal blessings. Not exclusively, but primarily. As we learn through the scriptures in Genesis 12, Abraham, go to the land I will show you and I will make you a great nation. Genesis 17, I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojourning. And so each tribe... Each family was portioned out a, a part of the land according to God's provision. And keep that in mind because it's important. The, pe- the priest threw the, do- the lots, kind of like the die, if you will. And so each of the tribes was assigned a particular portion of land according to God's good pleasure. God assigned it to them personally. Now, there were spiritual blessings in the Old Testament, Certainly they had spiritual blessings, but the focus of we, uh, the, the promise of God as we see them fulfilled are in the possession of the land. And let me say this. I saw Jerry Falwell. I think he's dead now. Uh, they were defending the scriptures. And Falwell was asked this question. How do you explain if Israel was promised the land for all eternity, they're not there now? And Falwell could have said this had he known it. Perhaps he didn't. The land was a picture of a reality to come. 
The true Israel are those who belong to Christ. And so if you are a believer, you are a part of the true Israel. It's not ethnic Israel, you see. Because ethnic Israel had a bunch of people that simply were not lovers of God. And they have far well been able to say, you're mistaken. You don't understand the scriptures or the power of God, to quote Jesus. What they had in the Old Testament was nothing more than a picture of a reality to come. And that reality being heaven itself, the new heavens and the new earth. That's what we look forward to, and that's what is promised to us here in this text. Again, they had blessings in the Old Testament. We read about that in Romans 9. They had adoption. They were regarded as God's special people. Uh, they had the glory. They saw the glory of the Shekinah and uh, the temple and the glory of God taking care of them as they went through the wilderness. All of these things, uh, they, they had the, uh, the law. Uh, to, concerning obedience and worship. They had worship in the temple. They had the promises concerning the Messiah, the patriarchs. And it was from those people, the Old Testament Jews, through the seed of Abraham, that the Messiah was going to be born. So they had, they had spiritual blessings that they did enjoy. Uh, but they also understood, even in the Old Testament, there were better things to come. I love the verse in Scripture that says this. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, but great things God has in store for those who love him. Just think about this. And bear with me. We are going to be glorified. We are going to be with Christ to see it. We are going to see the consummation of the ages of the resurrection of the dead. All of these things happening. It is going to be overwhelming to us. Overwhelming. And we're going to sing praises to our God. We would never have imagined this kind of greatness, this kind of glory, as we see our God manifested through the consummation. And we can't begin. You know, we sometimes get so arrogant about how much we know. Well, I think that the Reformed faith is uh, is well rooted in Scripture, and I praise God for it. I think it's more accurate understanding of Scripture than anything else. But we haven't begun to scratch the surface of our knowledge of God and what it's going to be like. And so we pray God to give us eyes that look forward to that day when Christ will come. Well, in the Old Testament, again, I said they look forward to it. This is proven to us in Hebrews 11, 8 through 10. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place. He was to receive an inheritance. And there it is. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to the land, live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him in the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose builder and designer is God. You hear that? What's that telling you? It lets us know that Abraham, when he was in the land, knew that there was something else to come greater than this. That the promises of God are not captured in time and space, but they move on to eternity. They are not limited in the present, but they move on for all eternity. Abraham understood that. 
And so we see then that he looked forward to a different kind of inheritance. This is what Paul is talking about in Ephesians in chapter 11. In him, we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things after the counsel of his will. Well, then what Paul is doing here is moving us to a position of confidence. That we can rest assured we are going to possess this inheritance. That we can, without a doubt, be confident of it. Well, it is rooted in God's decree. Again, for this reason, I'm sorry, in him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. I was at the Pensacola Theological Theological Institute one time many years ago. I wish they still had that. One of my professors, Dr. Raymond, was speaking, not preaching, it was a lecture. And Dr. Raymond made this statement, there are no chance events. It's true. There are no chance events. A little catechism was seven question, what are the decrees of God? The decrees of God are his eternal purpose, according to the counsel of his will, whereby for his own glory he has foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. That there are no uncertainties with God. What is God's works of providence? God's works of providence are his most holy, wise, powerful, preserving and governing all of his creatures and all of their actions. Our God is a hands-on God. He is involved in our lives very, very intimately. And it is clear from the scriptures and clear from these things that God is sovereign over everything that takes place. And listen to this. We see it in nature. Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows his handiwork. Was God involved in any way when the tornado cut across Florida? Was God involved in any way when Katrina came through and smashed uh, the Gulf Coast of Mississippi? Was God involved when Camille did the same thing in 1969? The answer is no, right? God couldn't be involved in that, could he? To deny that is to say that there's something outside of God that has more power than he does. That he was pacing the floors of heaven, wringing his hands just beside himself. What am I going to do? How can I stop this thing from happening? I don't have the power to do it. That's not the God of the Bible. That's not the God of Scripture. That's not the God of creation. And we don't know exactly why it is, but we know this, that God rides upon the storm. And all things occur according to His good pleasure, according to His decree. And we think to ourselves, well, that's just mean. Who are you to say God's mean? The God who has given His Son so you can escape the pains of hell. We have to remember, again, I tell you, we have to remember that this life is but a blimp on the radar and the greater things to come are in this inheritance that we will have which is heaven itself where the scripture says that he will wipe away every tear from our eye God is all powerful and is it unnerving to think about that 
Is it a frightening thing to think about the power of God? And hear this. If we believe that God somehow and in some way wanted to but couldn't do anything about the storms, then we have stripped him of his sovereignty. We have stripped him of his role as God. We have stripped him of his power. God is not a cruel, tyrannical monster who rules over all things. He's the God of wisdom and grace and mercy and kindness. Is that your God? If that's not your God, then your God is not the God of the Bible. Because we read again and again how he is a God of great depth of love for us. Thomas Matton, again, and Chuck's not here today. I don't know where he is, but he gave a, 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 and y'all can't check them out because I use them all the time. In the library, Thomas Matton's works, and I find him so helpful. Um, He said this about God's providence. God's providence informs us that God's wisdom is seen in all of its working, and it is the expression of wisdom. I want to read something to you. Uh, Charles read this to us this morning, and by God's grace, um, it fits in very well. To the sermon. This is John Newton. This most beautiful system of the sun, planets, and comets could only proceed from the counsel and dominion of an intelligent and powerful being. Now, what we find here is that he just didn't know about modern science, did he? He didn't realize that out of nothing can come creation. He did not realize that uh, by chance uh, things come into being. No, he did realize. And he understood And His reasoning is quite logical. And then he goes over uh, to this section. And from this true dominion it follows that the true God is a living, intelligent, and powerful being. And from his other perfections that he is supreme and most perfect he is eternal and infinite, omnipotent and omniscient. That, that is, his duration reaches from eternity to eternity. He governs all things and knows things that are or can be done. The God of Israel. We are the true Israel, I will remind you. Those who are in faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So we, as we watch God's providence unfold, it is a providence of order. It's a providence of love. It's a providence of mercy. And it shows his goodness from beginning to end. And um, as we see the day passing, there's a psalm, and I cannot remember which psalm it was, but basically the psalmist is talking about he sees God's hands throughout the day and God's working. And as we go through each day, we recognize that our God, from the time we are awake to the time we go to sleep throughout the night, our God is working and God is, is involved in the affairs of our lives. And we can say with um, Paul in Philippians 4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always again. I say rejoice. It doesn't say rejoice in your sin. It doesn't say rejoice in your sorrows. It says rejoice in the Lord who is our help, who is our hope, who is our strength in times of difficulty. And you see what this should motivate us to do is turn to God in prayer. Our God, there's nothing that has more power than God does. There's no one or no thing that is more loving than our God is. And so given that he is all-powerful, it is that we should turn to him in times of need, in times 
of the desire for help. Well, the fullness of the inheritance has not yet been experienced. We get sick. We die. We have babies born that end up in the ICU. Those kinds of things that we didn't expect to happen nor my parents. Who the day before my brother was born heard a heartbeat. The day of the birth he was dead. That makes no sense at all. But it is as we go further on to the end of what God has in store for us, the consummation of the ages, there it makes sense. Because quite frankly, the things that we deal with in this life that are hurtful, that are heartbreaking, as Paul says, they do not compare to the glory that shall be revealed in us at the last time. These burdens and these heartbreaks and these woes that we experience in this world, they pale to insignificance when we realize what God has in store for us. That it's coming and every day that passes brings us closer to that day. Don't think that God pushes it off and pushes it off and pushes it off. That's not the case at all. The day is set. Christ told us that. And each day brings us closer to the consummation of the ages. When will we get that inheritance? On that day. On that day. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance? Until we require possession of it to the praise of his glory. We have not required possession of it at this point. Listen to what is written in the book of Hebrews. The same thought expressed here in the book of Hebrews, the 11th chapter, that great hall of fame, faith hall of fame chapter as it has I've been named uh, in verse uh, 30. That's not right. Okay. It is not as though uh, condemned, that is not as though commended. It is all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Since God has provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. What's it saying there? The whole chapter of the book, the 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews, is about the expression of faith, those those who trusted in God. Abraham left his place and went to the land unknown. You see it again and again and again, the different people that are named there. Moses is one that is named there. And all that he did by grace, uh, Gideon is named there. And so that all of these people were expressing faith and trust in God as they did these marvelous uh, uh, acts. Well, he says here, they did not receive the fullness of their redemption. Because God has something better in store for the rest of us, who we are sitting here today, and that is this, that we should all come to it at the same time. And so Paul expressing here in the book of Ephesians, it is yet to be experienced in its fullness. And it will be on that day that we shall experience it on the last day of history as we now know it. And look at the, look at the power of the gospel, and he uses it here in Ephesians 1, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. He's talking about the Jews, talking about himself. We who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. And then he says this, 
In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel, your salvation, the gospel of your salvation, you believed in him and were sealed by the promised Holy Spirit. See the power of the gospel there? When's the last time you shared the gospel with somebody? When was the last time you did that? When was the last time you said to somebody, come with me to worship? And I want you to hear this man preach the gospel. Don't say he's bad or good. Just say, I want you to hear him preach the gospel. Because he's pretty good. He's faithful to preach the gospel. I want you to hear that. When was the last time you, you did that? Because it is through the gospel that people come to faith. It's not arguments. You can remonstrate with people. That's fine. But it is through the gospel. And so here Paul says, we came to believe it. And now you've come to believe it, and you notice the end of it. Uh, It is that God might be praised to the praise of his glory. You see why grace is used again and again and again in this section? That you and I and the saints of old who are now in heaven waiting for the resurrection of the dead, the bodies are, unconscious, yes, I understand that. But it is for the praise of God's glory. That it will be when the assembly of the church is gathered together, who, who can tell the voices being raised together in praise and adoration to God? For the praise of His glory, it says here, as we recognize that I was helpless and I was hopeless and I was destined for condemnation, but now God has stepped in and done a great work. And by His grace I have believed. By His grace I continue on. By His grace I will be in heaven. And so it is to the praise of His glory. Do you get excited about these things? You should. What a great and glorious God we have to respond to Him with praises and adoration. And when we sing our hymns, we shouldn't be mouthing the words and not thinking about the words that that are written there. And we sing our psalms of praises to God. Our hearts should be involved in that because our God is the God of redemption, the God of salvation, the God of love and mercy. And he saved us because he loved us. Well, the last thing then is that our should, uh, we should have confidence in uh, the consummation or in our coming to our inheritance because the Holy Spirit dwells within us. God's Spirit in Dwells us. First Corinthians three sixteen. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and the Holy Spirit indwells you? And what Paul says here, he is the guarantee of our coming into our inheritance. In real estate. Y'all know Larry Lane. I love Larry. Hadn't seen him for a long time. Larry was in real estate. He got out of it, he said, because he would be at closings. They'd fall apart at closings. Something would happen. Something didn't work out. Something didn't, uh, whatever. So he got out of it. That's not going to be that way with our inheritance. That God has for us is not going to fall apart. Perhaps you have been told by someone you are remembered in their will, and they die, and uh, you don't hear anything about it. Well, it changed. It's not going to happen with the inheritance that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is ours, and there is nothing that will ever change that. Your name's on it. Your name's on it. You know, when you uh, 
or in high school or college or graduate school and you take a test, you wonder, how did I do? My last semester in seminary, because of taking a year off and coming out here to work with Dr. Piper, I skipped Greek for a year. That's a long time, and I didn't really keep up with it when I was over here. Joey had me too many things to do. So I go back, and I'm taking my last semester. My instructor, who is Steve Christian, who was a had graduate student, I think, said to me, I will fail you. I know you've been out for you, but I want you to understand you've got to work because I'm going to fail you. If you don't pass this course, you will fail. You won't graduate. Okay. As a motivator. When we contemplate on standing before God, and Dan shared something with me that the pastor said at uh, uh, his aunt's funeral. That the uh, Jerry, Terry's wife was uh, wondering if um, she had done enough. If she had done enough, was she going to go to heaven? And you read this text here. In him, it says again and again, in him we have redemption. In him we are secure for glory. In him. So if you play these games with yourself of trying to see if you can make yourself good enough, you're going to be miserable because you can't. That's not to say that we should not be concerned about personal holiness and obedience. We should be. But we look to the cross of Christ, the empty tomb, and the resurrected Savior. That's where our confidence is. And again, it says in him we have acquired a great inheritance. Now, not everyone will receive this inheritance. But it's for those who know and love Jesus. If you're here today and you would like to go to heaven and you would like to have the inheritance come to Christ, it is for those who know and love and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for their salvation and they will not be disappointed. You'll have trials and struggles, but you will not be disappointed in the long run. And when we die, we go to be with the Lord. That's what God has in store for us. I've said it before. I'll say it again. The best is yet to come. Unimaginable wonder of our great love, the great love that God has for us being expressed very clearly in our redemption. Let's pray.